You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Hello and welcome to The Good GP. I'm Sean Stevens, and today we're interviewing Dr. Karen Dettering, sleep physician, ethicist and medical director of Advanced Care Planning Australia. Hi, Karen, and welcome to The Good GP. Hi, Sean. So, Karen, please tell me what prompted your interest in advanced care planning. It's not normally something I would associate with a sleep physician. Well, apart from a sleep physician, I'm also a respiratory physician. And in that context, I've looked after many people at the end of life. And what I've particularly noticed is the impact that can happen to families when they don't actually know what a person would have wanted and we're in a situation where we're needing to make decisions regarding treatment. Families find that that's just about an impossible situation to be in. So with that as an experience, I then felt like there had to be a better way to do this. And for me, the better way to do this is to try and encourage people to actually have conversations earlier so that when they do become unwell or perhaps unable to communicate, we actually have had some conversations and health professionals and families are then in a much better position to make decisions consistent with the person's preferences. I think we as GPs see that all the time too. You know, we see people over a longitudinal view and we also see the effects on the family. And look, I couldn't agree with you more. Karen, there's been a lot of interest in advanced care planning by government in the last few years. Can you tell me why that is? I think there's a couple of reasons. Certainly, I think there's a recognition that we should be looking after our patients much better and we should be actually understanding more what people want, so a sort of person-centred care approach, and that's really important. I also think there's a recognition that we could do advanced illness and end-of-life care much better than we actually do, and one way that this could be achieved is through advanced care planning. The number of times you see elderly, demented nursing home residents going to ED and ending up with CT scans and wires and probes and tests everywhere, you know, it's disheartening, isn't it? Absolutely. And you just look and think there just has to be a better way. And I think the better way is that we all get better at having conversations earlier. So mm. doctors and other health professionals, but also the community and family members, we all need to get better at doing this so that we can actually care for people better. Yeah, definitely. Look, I raise advanced care directives at every 75 plus health assessment that I do. And look, I do hundreds a year, but I've only ever managed to interest a handful of patients in having an advanced care directive done. Why do you think there's such resistance by patients? I think there's a number of reasons. Firstly, if the first time we're talking about it is when we're wanting them to do something, then we're not really giving them enough opportunity to work on advanced care planning and think about it over a longer period of time. We actually encourage people to start conversations much earlier, but maybe more simple conversations, and then to look you know, potentially around who would make decisions if they couldn't make them for themselves, and later think about values and goals that might, they might have. And then later still, perhaps when they are older or perhaps when they are unwell, to think more specifically about the components. So I think if we were able to actually take people on a journey over a longer period of time, people would be more interested. But at the moment, most of our advanced care planning and most of our encouragement of advanced health directives or advanced care directives are actually very late in the course of the illness. And it's only one component of advanced care planning as well. So even though people may not actually fill in an advanced care plan or an advanced care directive, they may well be taking on board some of what's actually raised. 
Look, that's a very good point. And I think, you know, as GPs, we're ideally placed to have that longer term discussion because we have that longitudinal knowledge of the patients. I mean, I try and do that regularly, but I find from a GP perspective, the paperwork seems overly legalistic and certainly very time consuming. Have you got any suggestions for minimising the paperwork and maximising the patient understanding and engagement given the time pressures that GPs face? Yes. So firstly, I think we need to work better as a healthcare team, so GPs, practice nurses, but also hospital doctors and nurses and various people, because often there are a number of interactions that we have with patients and family, and we can do components of the discussion along the journey. At the moment, I think it's really hard to actually know where somebody's up to in their advanced care planning journey because we don't have a good way of documenting it. But also the other thing that I do, so I do some work where I have quite limited time with my respiratory patients. So I'll often do it in small bits and give patients maybe a little bit of homework as well, and then follow up with them. Unfortunately, when we do get to legally documenting an advanced care directive, there are some steps that we need to take so that we end up with a valid advanced care directive. We have tried to simplify this process as much as possible and provide a lot of information on our Advanced Care Planning Australia website, including some guides and some tools to help people either document their advanced care directive or some information for healthcare professionals so that they can actually reasonably easily help people complete their advanced care directive and get it signed off. I saw that website and it actually looked very approachable and had some very useful information. Do you think there's an appetite amongst government to introduce a specific advanced care planning item number? It's a classic example of where low-tech interventions like this improve clinical outcomes and could save the health system many, many millions of dollars, yet the burden for falling it often falls on the GP for inadequate remuneration. I agree that a lot of the burden does fall back, particularly onto general practitioners and potentially primary care. Unfortunately, I don't necessarily think there is an appetite for government to introduce an advanced care planning item number. I mean, it's a personal view. I don't necessarily have inside information. Having said that, we have worked quite a bit with government to look at existing item numbers that could be utilised to do components of the advanced care planning conversation. And we've put some information together that is available again through our website for general practitioners specifically. When we consider that advanced care planning is actually a process over time, then it might make more sense to try and utilise some of the existing item numbers and part of our normal care. Probably one of the reasons why I don't think there'll necessarily be an item number is it may turn what is a conversation over time into a tick box exercise and may actually not improve care. So I think it is complicated at the moment to try and work out how are general practitioners and general practice nurses supported to do this in a way that's appropriate for running a general practice. And I think there's still further work to do, but we've been trying to to help break it down into small steps, provide resources and provide information so that it can be utilised within normal processes and item numbers. Good points. One of the frustrations that GPs face is that even when we do go to the time and trouble to do an advanced care directive, it's often overlooked when the patient reaches ED. Do you have any suggestions on how directives can be flagged with the emergency department? Yes, and I can understand this frustration. At the moment, often advanced care directives aren't found by any setting. 
Going forward, I think one of the solutions is to utilise my health record for this purpose. Within my health record, there's an area where advanced care directives can be uploaded and then they will actually be able to be accessed. Obviously, that is a little bit of work in progress at the moment, but we are working to try and help get advanced care directives into my health record, trying to make it as easy as possible to do that. And then obviously trying to help health professionals get the information out. The other thing that I suggest to patients and to substitute decision makers is to make sure that they advocate for the patient and make sure that they tell healthcare professionals that they have done advanced care planning if they're able to obviously tell us, particularly that might be a role that the family members might have as well. And just trying to make sure that it is actually available. At the moment, there is a little bit of interest amongst lawyers in completing some advanced care planning documentation, and that can be really useful, but it then needs to be shared with the health professionals. And at the moment, it often stays with the lawyers. So again, we encourage people to make sure they share their directive as widely as possible. I think that's a very good point about the My Health Record. I have heard from patients, though, it's very difficult to upload and put on there. But yeah, as you say, it's a work in progress. And certainly we've Uh, been encouraging people and showing them how they can actually do that. The more, the better. And the more people that use it, the more useful it will become. Yes, So, Karen, I understand that you're currently doing a study into the prevalence of advanced care directives. Can you tell me a little bit about that? In Australia, we've been implementing advanced care planning initiatives for 15 or 20 years, and yet it's very hard to actually pull out evidence of what's working and what's not. So we at Advanced Care Planning Australia running a national prevalence study. We ran a pilot study in the latter part of last year, and now we're running a full-blown study looking at advanced care directive prevalence in general practice, in hospitals, and in aged care facilities. So we're recruiting sites at the moment to be involved. We're hoping to have good representation of all sectors across Australia. We're looking for both statutory and non-statutory advanced care directives. And within the study, there's a lot of information. It might sound a bit complicated, but it's actually a relatively easy study. We train our people to collect data. There's manuals and other things to make it as easy as possible. And we're hoping that we will get good representation from all sectors, including general practice. One of the key things that we recognise from our pilot study is to engage with general practices to be involved. We needed to make it as easy as possible and not interfere at all with the running of the practice. And we believe by supporting data collection and supporting practices to be involved at a time that suits them and keeping things as simple as possible will help ensure that that can happen. Great. If any of our listeners want to get involved in that study, how do they go about doing that? They can either access the information through the Advanced Care Planning Australia website and the information on the prevalence study is on that page, or they could ring 1300 208 582, which is our Advanced Care Planning Australia advisory service, and we would be able to give appropriate information for that as well. Karen, thanks very much for your time, and I look forward to hearing the results of your study. Lovely. Thank you very much for your time. 